0: I'm here today with Nanette Miner. Hi, Nanette. How are you?
1: Hi, John. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks Good. for having me.
0: No, you're very welcome. Very welcome. I'm glad you dodged that hurricane. That's the, you know, <laughs> the main thing, and you're all okay and not flooded.
1: I am glad as that, of that as well.
0: So thank you for coming on this podcast, and I've been reading quite a few of your blogs and articles and things like that, and what you want to talk about is almost as dramatic-sounding as a hurricane, because you're talking mm-hmm. about there being this sort of monumental shift in the way that organizations, by 2030, I think you're saying, by which is only 15 years away, it sounds much closer than that. To, it sounds much further away, sorry. It sounds like it's miles it into does. the future. But you're saying by then there's going to be some sort of monumental shift and loads of businesses are actually going to go out of go out of business, which is quite a dramatic claim. So do you want to just tell us where does that come from?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I want it to be a dramatic claim because I want people's ears to perk up and, and pay attention. So. As you know, as, as the world knows, the boomer generation, and especially in America, but elsewhere across the world, is, is set to retire by 2030. That's what the United States census predicts yeah. will be the, when the last boomer leaves the workplace, <laughs> shuts the door and turns off the lights. It'll be 20, 2030. So it's l- honestly less than 15 years away. And when you're thinking corporate America and you're thinking a company's longevity, that's not a long time. You, you and I, sure, we're thinking, good Lord, by 2030, how old will I be? How old will my car be? <laughs> you know, what will my life be like? But in a corporation's world, that's not a long time. You need to have a plan for where your company is going to be in 2030. And, and my perspective is that the boomers have learned or, you know, our topic is learning and development, training and development. The, the boomers have learned in a different way. They have learned by experience. They have stayed in jobs for decades. They have come up through organizations. There's a lot of on-the-job experience. There's a lot of cultural knowledge. There's a lot of operational knowledge that they possess because of the longevity of their time on the job. When they leave, they're, and, and also they're in the majority of boomers are The people who are in leadership positions. So when they leave, we have a lot of leadership voids to fill. By default, I believe a lot of millennials will get promoted to positions that they're just not ready to hold because they haven't had the longevity on the job. I mean, people don't stay in jobs for lengthy periods of time now. Millennials think three to five years is a long time to stay on the job. They haven't had the you know depth of experience of coming up through an organization and observing others and trial and error, Um, and and just the way that we have changed the way that we do training and development in the last 30 years has really contributed to why the younger generation isn't prepared. So I'm I'm not bashing millennials. Some people you know accuse me of that. Absolutely not. It is what it is, but we as the an older generation and corporations in particular are really liable for how we have failed to prepare younger generations to to move up in organizations. And so the dramatic um prediction is that yeah a big (laughs) dramatic
0: dramatic, scary claim
1: exactly is that when leaders are gone the leaders who have those years of knowledge and that depth of experience are gone we're going to have people who aren't prepared in leadership positions and and i think businesses are just going to crumble they're not going to make the right decisions they're not going to know how to make the right decisions because they weren't trained properly
0: so these millennials but i mean actually let me just ask you because I think you use these words a lot more readily in the, in the states than we do in Europe. Mm-hmm. When we talk about boomers and we talk about millennials, I just want to check I've actually understood this correctly. Because what do you mean by the boomer generation?
1: So boomers are generally defined as born between 1946 and 1964, and millennials are generally defined as being late 80s, like 88 to 92. That that number is fluid right. for some reason, but <laughs> but the definition is somewhere within that five, six year period. And then there is Gen X in the middle. It's just yeah, a much smaller me. generation. Yeah. And that's a much smaller generation. So boomers are the largest generation right now, currently in the workforce, but millennials are going to eclipse that very soon, especially once the boomers are gone. And they're actually a larger generation than the boomers. And then there's the smaller Gen X. So unless we get everybody who's a Gen X skilled up to be a leader, we're going to have a lot of millennials who will just ascend to leadership positions, whether they're ready or not, because we need to fill those positions. Now, right, now okay. I could be entirely wrong if AI and robotics takes over the world in the next 15 years, then we've got no problems. We only need one leader and 72 robots.
0: <laughs> I think that's unlikely when I just think just how poor Siri is on my phone. I think it's unlikely <laughs> that we're going to be ready to take over entirely. So, so you, your premise essentially is that once the boomers get out the way,
1: well, I wouldn't say that. Good That's riddance, rude, yeah. as far as I'm
0: concerned. I I think it's a dreadful generation. Uh, good riddance to them. But we're not going to go off on that tangent on this podcast. Good plan. <laughs> so um, so anyway, w- once they go, then there won't be enough of us Gen Xers in the middle. So therefore, right. a lot of the leadership positions and a lot of the senior decision-making positions are going to have to be filled by millennials. Correct. And these millennials haven't been trained properly. So aren't going to be in a position to lead.
1: Would you like me to tell you what we did to them to not train them properly? Yeah, go
0: on then. What what did we do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there's three three things that we as corporate america or you know corporations in general have have done which you know probably looked great at the time but here's one of my problems with leadership, and that's why my new book is called Future Proofing, nobody looked to the future. Nobody ever looks ahead 10, 15 years and goes, well, what, happened? what you know, what's the worst case scenario? If we do this today, which looks like a good solution today, what's the worst case scenario 15, 20, 30 years from now? So the first thing that happened was we had a major recession in the early 90s, and a lot of training staffs and training budgets got cut. I mean, cut, gone. <laughs> and those have never really come back. So we just took the emphasis on training in an organization away. They, they kind of see it as a, an ex, well, I think they always have seen it as an expense and not as a helpful generator to the organization. It's more like, well, we got we got to do this, but we'll give it the minimal amount of money that we have to, to to keep that function alive.
0: Seen as kind of a luxury.
1: It is. It is, which is ludicrous, but that's another path. Yeah. Another thing is in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, we really, companies really jumped on board with this e-learning, which... I absolutely hate because there's a couple of reasons why I don't like it. One, it's asynchronous. It means you're doing it alone. People don't learn alone. People learn in collaboration with others. You get better ideas because you have the synergy of working with others. So as an individual doing e-learning, I can only learn so much because I don't, I'm not expanding on anything that this particular piece of content is offering me because people aren't generally good at reflective learning. That's something that we have to kind of, um, you know, process into the learning process. We have to, to we have to program it in there.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree on that point. Sorry, go on. So
1: no, that's fine. So so, so we're asking you learning. Yeah, that's right. So we're asking we're asking people to learn alone and until very recently where we had simulations or branching and we had the, the technological capabilities to do better e-learning. For a long time it was a very linear process you started you know at a and you ended up at Z and there was no branching off there you know there was just follow this path and then at the end we give a multiple choice question or multiple choice quiz to see if you learned what the class was about which which that you know in my mind goes back to, grammar school and and just the you know lower education you know, instead of higher education like we're, we're programming younger people to think that there's only one right answer because we're giving multiple choice tests cuz no teacher out there wants to read an essay and grade it on its thoughtfulness <laughs> or you know pose an argument or ask somebody to explain themselves more it's like just just pick the right answer from this list of three so we so we're really Curtailing people's abilities to think widely and broadly, because they think, well, I just go down this one path, this linear path, and then at the end there's a multiple choice test, and I can I can recognize the answer because generally the quiz comes right at the end of the learning. So unless you have really bad short term (laughs) memory, you ought to be able to pass the test. So that's number two. Number one is we cut back on budgets and staffing. Number two, we really embraced e learning, which I think is hugely detrimental. And then three, what we've done when we added the staff and the budgets back training took on a different process for lack of a better word. We really silo training now and what I mean by that is we we put people in a track and you go up that track but you never go out of that track. So let's say you join a company as a finance person, all your training for the next 5, 6, 12 years, however long you stay there, will generally be in finance. We would never have you go to a class in uh I don't know, risk management or <laughs> operations management or logistics planning. Like why? That would not be in your silo. But think of how much more valuable you would be to the company and to the role that you play in finance if you understood the logistics of the company or how it works operationally or what customer service or shipping does. Like we have just put people in these very tight little knowledge tracks, which makes them unskilled at knowing how a business runs.
0: That's quite a lot that you said there, because you're saying first of all that we 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 you know we've cut back on training, or training's been seen as. I, I think I would I would say that training's been seen as very disconnected from the business. Yes. And it's seen as something that happens in an isolated training room, and it tends to be quite theoretical. It doesn't tend to be linked to real work. So it's totally even, theoretical. Even when it's funded, and not yeah. r- rubbish e-learning, even then it tends to be quite disconnected from actual work and it might be a, a full day of cramming lots and lots of theories
1: yeah exactly and i think it's offered begrudgingly and i think a lot of people attend it begrudgingly just because it's done wrong
0: well that's true as well actually yeah they may come because it's a free lunch or because it's a free trip somewhere <laughs> but that's about it and then they don't necessarily they go back to the workplace and they don't they don't necessarily know how to apply it they don't get support to apply it there isn't time to right. apply it there isn't time to make the right. mistake and learn the new skill etc
1: exactly and you never come back and revisit it
0: No, well, you never, you never come back and revisit it. And the evaluation of it is either very, very short term, as in, did you learn what you're supposed to learn now? Yes, you did. Great. That's it. Evaluate it. Right. Or a manager gets a questionnaire three months later, which they can't be bothered to fill in.
1: Which they don't fill out. That's right.
0: (laughs) And that seems to be, that seems to be it. And again, that goes back to your point about short term thinking.
1: Right, right, exactly. Not
0: thinking long-term because the evaluation is, did you acquire the skill in the short-term or the knowledge in the short-term? So I think there's quite a lot of things in what you were saying there about the word training. And, and, and I kind of agree with you on e-learning, although I do think it's got a lot better. And we have got some quite good podcasts with some real e-learning pioneers. So I, I do have to defend it a little bit here.
1: Well, no, it ha- and I did say that it has gotten better in, in recent years, like in the last eight, probably. But we had 20 years prior to that where it was abysmal.
0: And we've put everybody off with that.
1: It does, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you've so. had that bad experience, you're going to think e-learning is just this kind of cop-out. It's this, this cheap, nasty alternative, which isn't very effective. It is. right. So it, it now feels like a, a very inferior product.
1: Yes. And so I feel like companies really have to turn their ships around. You know that saying, "You got to turn a big ship around." They real—they just have to do a 180 because everything they've been doing for the last 30 years is is heading them right over this waterfall precipice. I'll just keep my boat theme going on. It's a waterfall, <laughs> and they're about to go over it. <laughs> well, considering
0: you were nearly flooded um, this yeah. last week, I can see why that might be on your mind.
1: It's subliminal, it's a yes. subliminal thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and 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 the last thing you were saying was about the silos and i think that's an interesting point i don't know if i recognize that quite so much but it, it's interesting because i think what we've done and i know um, i know you say this a lot is that we focus on giving people the skills they need to do the job mm-hmm. and that's the kind of i know you've argued that that's that's part of the big problem
1: right because people aren't developing business acumen like I think, and, and I, I don't, this is just a complete hypothesis on my part because I've never heard anyone say this, but I really think people are afraid of lateral moves that like we're so focused on. I must go up. I must go up. I must get a promotion. And if I can't get it here, then I'm going to jump to a new company because they offered me, you know, Better title, even though it might be the exact same job, but I have a better title, or you know, I'm making an extra dollar more or something. I mean, we really need to encourage lateral moves within companies. That should be an expectation. You might come in in finance, but five years from now, you better know three other departments, or you're not worthwhile to this company.
0: So, you you think developing that level of flexibility where people might go? I mean, finance is quite a specialized area, so that's a really interesting example. So, somebody from finance might end up in human resources or sales or something.
1: Well, I'll, there's two responses to that. One, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that I want them to be flexible to like move into a new role, but I want them to be educated about that new role, which is why the the, the curriculum that I have designed is an interdisciplinary curriculum. So you're not. Another problem is when you when you're siloed in training and you're a finance person, you go to training with other finance people. <laughs> so I yeah. want I want HR people and operations people to also be in your finance class because you should have that exposure to at least what they do in their departments and who they are and how you can make a connection with them. And then maybe they'll invite you to lunch and you'll learn more about their department. So it's more about developing your knowledge of the organization than being skilled enough to move to another role. But by the same token, because we have people who are so focused on, oh, I must get a promotion. I must you know, be somewhere else in this de- in department in three years, or I'm going to have to leave this company. They purposefully stay focused on a Discipline as opposed to saying, what are the opportunities in my organization? You know, maybe I went to college for finance, but it turns out I really like HR better and I would rather be in that department or I mean, I, I have a Ph.D. I like to work with my hands. I remember once gardening with my father and I said, it's too bad I have so much education because I really like working with my hands. And you know, my, my level of education requires me to work with my brain. But maybe I just, once I get out in the working world, I realize this is not what I thought it was. And I really am attracted to this other department, but we don't encourage people to move laterally. So we, we, we're just creating a whole bundle of problems.
0: It's, it's, it's a very interesting idea. Uh, Because it very much flies in the face of what what you were saying about millennials thinking three to five years for a job life cycle within Mm -hmm. the organization. If we do what you're suggesting, we're committing to an individual rather than committing to a role. Exactly. And that's a very different approach.
1: And in the bigger picture, you're really committing to the success of your organization. That is truly my... My foundation. Because if you don't have people with business acumen and knowledge about the organization in 15 years, you're not going to be able to keep your organization alive. You're going to be making a ton of stupid mistakes as people are learning on the job, which they shouldn't have to do. They should have been capable of that promotion when they got there. They should have had more business acumen before they got there.
0: Let's just unpick that word business acumen for a second. Do you want to just uh-huh. expand what you mean by business acumen? Do you mean just knowledge of the different bits and pieces of the, the organization?
1: Yes. And behavioral skills, uh, management skills, interpersonal skills. Like one of my favorite examples is the um, old CEO of Uber who had his meltdown about, about a year and a half ago, I guess now it was recorded on camera so everybody can see it. That's that, that, That's poor self-management. Self-management is a business acumen skill. As a leader, you should carry yourself appropriately at all times, because you, nowadays, thanks to cameras, <laughs> we don't know when people are recording us and posting it out there for all to see. So as a leader as an organization, you have to develop a whole set of behaviors that suggest or or um, demonstrate that you're a leader as well. So it's not just Knowledge. It's knowledge and behavior. It's the ability to, you know, think critically. It's the ability to uh, ask the difficult questions. I think a lot of times we, you know, they say if you're a good leader, you don't surround yourself with yes men. You uh, surround yourself with people who are going to to challenge you because that's how you avoid making. Critical mistakes. I mean, as a consultant, it's one of my favorite roles to do, and I always preface it by saying, "I'm just going to play devil's advocate here." But what if? And as a consultant, I can get away with that because I'm not in an organization. I think inside organizations, a lot of people are afraid to, you know, raise their hand to the manager and say, "Oh, I don't think that's a good idea." (laughs) You (laughs) know, let me let me give you my perspective. Where I don't have that problem because you know we could part ways at any time, so it's okay. But I think it's a you know business acumen is a is a much bigger um, than than just technical topics I think there's having external experience like one of my one of my um, suggestions one of my requirements in the curriculum that I've developed for organizations is they have people have to do volunteer experiences because you get a lot of leadership development in a volunteer experience that you may not get in your own organization. You can become a committee person, you can become a committee chair, you can head up, you know, some a project that takes 6 months or a year to pull off where you may not have that uh, ability within your own organization in the role that you have, but you can still develop those skills by aligning yourself with some something else in the community. So I think, you know, it's, it's more than just being in your company and knowing your company's operations.
0: I mean, that's quite an innovative approach bringing in volunteer work or external experience deliberately seeking external experience that's yes. not something that gets done at the moment in most development project programs that no. i can think of
1: not most no sometimes they'll give you you know time. companies will give you time to do it sometimes they do like yeah, a, true. a a giving a giving day so everybody gets this half day off and we go off and build a house or a community garden or something but but they but you know like google uh, i've heard they've gotten rid of this but google used to have 20% time where 20% of your week you were basically allowed and tasked with working outside of your specific role to, to, to think for the future, (laughs) to, to, to try new ideas, to, you know, not to necessarily leave the company and, and, um, do something volunteer, but I think we ought to, we ought to build that into, um, what is considered your work experience. You know, if we can't provide it for you here in this company, but you can get it, we should allow that to be part of your work.
0: Well, again, that's really investing in the individual. Exactly. It's thinking yeah. long term about that individual, what that individual will add to your organization. And yes. I, it's I guess it's quite sad in a way that people don't really want to do that cuz they're thinking well they're going they're probably going to leave at some point and therefore we'd lose that investment. And yes. it, 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 so therefore let's not train anybody, let's not yeah
1: you know, right. in case well, they leave. I think that has, that's a, a very valid argument, but I also believe that if you integrate this new development process, people won't leave. I think the reason people leave is because they're looking for development. I don't think, I know. Even millennials even say that. Like the top three things they're looking for in a job, one is professional development. So if, if they come to your organization and say and, and they see that there's like a three year or a five year or a twenty year plan for my development, why would I leave?
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean that that level of commitment the organization making to me you would naturally feel motivated loyal and, and and everything else assuming everything was working out okay you're going to stick around aren't you
1: well and you'd also have options because they say that people leave a boss they don't leave a job right so if you got stuck with a boss <laughs> that you didn't like and you had knowledge of your whole organization and you had made relationships because we don't do that with people either you know we don't have people make relationships inside companies and if you had relationships you might be able to stay with your company and move to another role. Like one of the things that always amazes me as a consultant is when I first go into a company, I usually ask for a tour. You know, let's walk around. Let me see what the departments do. Explain to me who these people are. And then I run into people who've been at the company for two, three years and they're like, oh, I don't know who Susan is. You know, (laughs) what department, what do they do? Really? You've been in your job here in this cubicle or this side of the building for three years. You don't know what the other side of the building does. I mean, I I love being a consultant because I have the ability to walk around (laughs) And, you know, and, and push those hot buttons. Like I said, in a meeting, I'll be the one to raise my hand and go, why are you thinking that? Because that doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, no, and that, really, I noticed that as well in, in organizations because I go around quite a lot and people have, have such narrow awareness mm, of yes. the what else is going on in their, in their organization so close to them and such narrow knowledge of the other people that are around them.
1: Yes. And so the same holds true with their business, their, their ability to be a business person. They have a very narrow focus on what they do in that role and how, how sometimes they don't even really know how it contributes to the organization. So I guess that should be step one is what is your role and how does it contribute?
0: It's a really good point. It really does limit their ability to be able to reach out beyond that and, and influence the organization and become a, a, a leader and a catalyst right. for the change or whatever within that exactly. organization. Exactly. So, so business acumen, you're saying there isn't just knowledge of the business bits and pieces and how it all fits together and works. It is actually all of those interpersonal skills, leadership skills, business skills. So all of that, what they erroneously call soft skills. All right. It's all of that stuff as exactly. well. Exactly.
1: Erroneously called soft skills. Yeah.
0: I like the Tom Peters phrase, the soft soft stuff's the hard stuff or something like that.
1: The yes. Soft stuff's hard. It sure, it sure is. No, hang on. Is that
0: right? I don't know. It's something like that anyway, but it's a good... Those are the things that make people successful or not successful, not whether or not they know how to tot up a balance sheet or something.
1: Right. Now, we still have to give them the technical skills because obviously we want them to be good at their jobs. But we just do it in such a, like we said 10 minutes ago, such a siloed way, such a you cram it all in in eight hours when my brain already shut off at noontime. But hey, we got four more hours to fill <laughs> and take you know take a little short nine question exam at the end. And oh, yeah, you passed. We can check you off as having gone through this class. And there's no follow through. It's, it's a waste of money. Companies cut back on training because they feel it's a waste of money and they're purposely giving wasteful training. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Although in some defense of stuff like that, if there's anything I need to know how to do, I just go to YouTube. <laughs> and I have to say, you can pretty much find anything you want to know how to do on YouTube. Pretty much. Agreed. Well, certainly at a level of a practical skill, but there's even some quite good yeah. behavioral stuff on there as well. Yes. But then that's kind of me self-motivated. And what I'm doing if I go to YouTube for that is I'm going for a very specific skill that I'm, right. I, I've am i already already decided how I'm going to apply it. Because I'm thinking, I've got that meeting coming up. How can I do whatever?
1: exactly? And I've,
0: and I've got that. So then I'm going for an answer. And that does work. But
1: As opposed to having your eyes open to something new and going, whoa, I didn't know this. I didn't know about this. This is intriguing. I want to pursue this more.
0: You've mentioned a few times your curriculum, and I know um, I had a look through that, and it's absolutely fascinating and lots of really brilliant ideas in there. But it's Thank like three you- years long. <laughs> like-
1: <laughs> that would be the short version in my estimation, yeah. It has to be only because – to do things like we've already alluded to in a quality way, you can't just, you know, say, oh, well, that'll be happening on Tuesday, and then you'll be skilled for the rest of your life. So, (laughs) you know, ideally, I'd like it to be a a 20 year (laughs) curriculum, because you should have a we should have a development plan for you when you join our organization we should know where you're going you, you know that, that behavioral question they ask in the beginning of uh, before you join a company where do you want to be in five years we should turn that around and go i don't know what what is your plan for me for five years where do where do you think i can go
0: yeah that would be interesting wouldn't it yeah
1: it would wouldn't it? You probably wouldn't get the
0: job <laughs> but it would be an interesting question it would be so tell tell us tell us some of the stuff that's in this i mean we we talked about some of the kind of content that that's in there, and you talked about the volunteering thing. What are the kind of flavors in there, and why is it in there? what's happening, and why is it taking three years?
1: Well, so it's an integrated curriculum, so you don't just learn again in a silo you're not just going to take you know three levels of some finance something. I'm not a finance person, so I'd, that's probably a terrible <laughs> choice that I made it's example you've used interview. all the time as well. <laughs> I know I should probably well, pick you know, a new at least one about.
0: <laughs> I can speak
1: more authoritatively, yes. But it gives, it, so so this integrated curriculum gives you exposure to other areas. So we'll have you, first of all, taking classes with people from different disciplines so that, as we said earlier, you'll learn something about operations and something about HR and something about the shipping department. So you'll know how the organization as a whole works. You'll develop some skills in other areas that at least make you conversant in the topics. You'll you know, understand what the HR department does or what the shipping's departments bottlenecks are so you can understand how that you know backflows into into finance or whatever um but then well one of the big pushes is to have real world on the job assignments or projects that make a difference to the company which is why this curriculum actually pays back the company practically on day 1 because we're not teaching people anything in theory we're teaching everything in in practical uses so for example we have a client for whom we well a past client for whom we um, designed a course in continuous improvement, which everybody had, should have that skill. Right? There's you shouldn't just be sitting at your desk twiddling your thumbs, going, "Hey, everything's great here. <laughs> we'll just keep doing this for the next twenty years." Like everybody should have the skill of continuous improvement. So we had this, you know, smaller group that w- that the skill was applied to. So first of all, we put them through a training course so they understood the concepts and what they were looking for. Then we they had an assignment where they had to initiate a project with their boss, so we got their manager involved as well, which was something that they could do in their role or in their particular field in their in their company, um, because not everybody was in the same department that was in this training class. Then they you know, completed their assignment. So I think we gave them uh, 12 weeks to do it. But And some of them would come back to us and go, I don't have, you know, it's not enough time. I can't finish my project. We're like, well, at this point, just write up your report because, you know, we have to close out this curriculum. So in real continuous improvement process, you may not see a result in three months. This may be something we don't see for, you know, eight months or a year. So then we we had them complete a report explaining what the the need was, how they researched it, what they, you know, determine should be the best course of action how they implemented it what the results were and if they didn't have results they were you know kind of given a pass but um what the expected results might be so so we gave them a format and then they had to you know think it through so what just happened how do i explain this in a in a very succinct way i just can't go on and on and everybody should have the same format then we had people who used to work at the company who had worked in um various operational roles who were willing to be mentors and coaches so we forwarded these reports on to those folks and they had like four days to get them back to us with comments so that you got not only an industry expert commenting on it but somebody who had also been with the company so they had that kind of um insight and as well and then Give, and then they basically got graded. I forget how the grading worked. But if you were in the top, say, 10%, then you were given the opportunity to present your project to an executive level of the organization. And then the organization might choose to implement your continuous improvement process in other areas. This was a, world, this was a global organization. They had, I don't know, 41 countries that they worked in or something like that. So we were working with a very small group in in the United States, but that you had the opportunity to take something that you did in your field or your office, in your role, and have upper management realize, wow, we should implement this process across the whole organization. It just saved us something or prevented risk, or this is a big company that was big on safety. So a lot of the things had to do with um, safety improvements. So as a result of this process, and this is why it takes <laughs> you know potentially three years, because here's one class and how we integrated it into their into their jobs. They went through training. They had on-the-job experience. For many of them, this was a stretch assignment because they were, I think, within the first year of being with the company. So, you know, many of them hadn't been asked to go outside their area of responsibility or, or tasked with finding something that could contribute back to the organization. They were um, able to work on their communication skills, both in how they worked with their manager and also their written communication skills by writing writing up the report. Um, presentation skills, potentially, if they chose or were chosen to present to the executive group and then they got the coaching and the mentoring and the feedback and you know how do you have that feedback conversation how do you take feedback or that potentially is critical and integrated or or choose not to but there's got to be a rationale for that other than go huh i don't i don't agree with you um so i mean so that's kind of to answer your earlier question that's the business acumen right like we had what eight maybe business acumen results out of one class in one assignment but because of the way that we integrated it with their roles, and then also integrated it with the rest of the organization, they developed unbelievable skills.
0: When you're describing it, then it made me think what you're talking about doing is linking development to humans. <laughs> it sounds so obvious and I'm saying it, <laughs> but learning and development or training essentially in most organizations is linked to content. Yes. So you go... To, you do a management development course because it's a management development program. It's linked to content. It's not linked to the individual. What you're doing is, no. you're turning it around and linking it to the person, to the human in the equation.
1: I'll take that. I'm writing it down because it's actually a very astute observation, but I'll still argue that I'm linking it to the organization because... There's no way that that can't benefit the organization. That person's increased skill is going to continue on forever more. Like You're not going to look at anything in your role anymore and not think, I could probably improve that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't mean it's not linked to the organization. I just mean that, t- that training or learning and development is, is historically linked to some kind of content or content, structure right. of content, which right may be around that. faculties, it may be around I don't know, departments or whatever, but it's linked to content. You're right. You're Whereas absolutely right Or if you're not right saying that. that, you're linking it to the person. Yes, and that's it, that's kind of the big difference. And that suddenly, when you were talking like that, I thought, oh my god, that's the difference.
1: That is. And the suddenly,
0: difference. a three-year development plan doesn't start to look like <laughs> such a, an unwieldy, huge <laughs> it, thing.
1: Exactly, because how many of these kinds of projects could we load on a person at a time? We couldn't. So you know, it just takes a lengthy, exactly. And, a, yeah.
0: in, in terms yeah. of human development, three years isn't much.
1: Right. Exactly, For and an that's an why in a
0: workplace, it's a development. It's not that long.
1: And 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 I always say that this is a development process. It's you know we'll we'll build it around a curriculum, but it's a development process. And so you're absolutely right. And a lot of times, you know, I can go into an organization and say we don't we don't have to take we don't have to throw out everything you already have. Let's just take a look at what you have, put it into a better order put the right people in the classes and then and then build it out a little bit more so it's more experiential so it's more collaborative so there's more synergy so there's more time for application and reflection that's when we get people to not only learn but to build their business acumen
0: are you suggesting as well that organizations should put everybody through this kind of (laughs) because i am it's the kind of thing where it it might be available to i don't know the top I don't know, ten, twenty percent, or something. I think call those the, <laughs> the the what do you call them? The A the hi, or
1: something. The high post. Oh well, like, yes, I did write. A, I did write an article once called the the A players and the B players. You're right. That's <laughs> it.
0: That's what I was thinking. A players. Yeah. yeah, it's the kind of thing that you'd say. Right, this is just for the A players. Everyone getting the sort of top mark in their performance review. It's I, that. I will tell high, you high potential lot.
1: Yeah. Uh, Companies try to force me to do that, and I push back as much as I can because I just don't see the rationale in saying I only want a certain segment of my population to be better thinkers, (laughs) more critical thinkers, more skilled at what they do. Like That makes no sense to me. So yes, I do feel like everybody in the organization should go through it, but for the most part, we tend to have cohorts of so I I won't let it operate unless there's three different cohorts because there's um, there's also some competitive things that we build in a, a few years down the road and also if it if it's at least a minimum of three years development process then by the time you're in your third year you actually develop your coaching skills by working with first year people so I need we need volume but we but we don't need excessive volume we need like you know maybe 45 or 50 people would be the minimum that I I would. Roll something like this out for, but again, I just to me that's short-term thinking. That's that's just hobbling yourselves if you're only giving 50 people this upskilling in their whole you know business ability. Why would you do that? I always say, do you, do you want 20% of your people to have 100% more skill, or would you like 100% of your people to have 5% more skill? I mean, I'd rather go with the 100% of the people are somewhat better at their jobs, but I don't win that argument very often.
0: Well, the pushback's always going to be cost, isn't it? Exactly. You've got, you've got to make your you've got to make your ROI case.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't have to be. It's really it's not cost so much as time, and time obviously is money. But there's a lot of ways to do this. I, mean, I have a there's a blog article on my site at some at po- some point that says um, you know here's like ten things you can do that are leadership development that don't cost any money. Just we we don't give people assignments. We say sit there at your desk, do the job we hired you to do, and we're not asking you to expand upon you know upon that at all. But there's so many things that even a manager could do to get more capability out of their workers or give the workers more exposure and more knowledge just by giving them you know, short-term assignments, like write up a manual that explains what you do. <laughs> because-
0: Yeah, I haven't read that blog post. I'm gonna have to do that because mm-hmm. anything that's about leadership development, I find really interesting.
1: I will, I will make myself a note to send it to you.
0: Yes, please do, please do. That will actually remind me to actually read it as well. <laughs> so um, I just wanna go back over this point just very quickly though, if you don't mind, because the return on investment argument is will come up anybody who's listening to this and is thinking about having a more people-centered longer-term development program including all the business acumen soft skills we talked about mm-hmm. is gonna is gonna meet at some point people going e that's a bit expensive expensive in time perhaps more than cash but still yeah. as you say that's 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 kind of money in a sense so how, how 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 do you justify it how do you get past those arguments
1: Well, because things like the continuous improvement um, example I just gave you, because there's ROI in everything we do. So if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty, we can prove we're making you back much more money than you're spending on it. Every single individual is making you money back because of the way that we're teaching the skills, because of the opportunities that we're giving them within the business to, to pay back the business while they're learning.
0: Right. And I guess there are things like hard measures maybe like turnover and recruitment turnover and stuff like that, I guess.
1: Well, there you go. That's, that's,
0: (laughs) that would be one that jumped out as a,
1: yeah, retention is a huge problem in organizations these days. But as we talked about earlier, most people leave because they don't see any more opportunity here. So I'm going to have to go somewhere else for more opportunity. But if you offered me that opportunity, I would stay. So yes, how much savings could you have in retention? I forget what I just saw, like in the last month about um, engagement right now and how engagement is so low because you're not challenging me to do anything. You're not asking me or helping me to be, you know, more than I can be in the role I already have. So, okay. So I'm just sitting here, you know, plotting along on my job while I'm plotting my next, my next move. I just also heard something recently and I can't, you know, I can't um, cite this specifically, but it was something like, I don't know, 70% of people would leave their jobs now if the right, you know, if the next right job came along, that's pretty scary for a business. So yeah, we have, we have, you know, my, my premise, my foundation is we need, future leaders who are prepared to be leaders. But you're absolutely right. There's immediate ROI in retention. There's immediate ROI in recruitment, because why would you not want to go join a company that had your interests at heart for the next five years or 10 years or 15 years, as opposed to you having to figure out your career path or getting that exposure? I mean, people, I think, often get stuck in careers because it's too much of a leap to to move to a, a different industry or a different line of you know, business um, line, but if my organization allowed me to to spread my wings like that, I would totally take advantage of that. I and mean, I appreciate I'd appreciate the ability to take the advantage.
0: I also think there's something around turnover, uh, recruitment, retention, and all that kind of stuff, where people where people feel that there is a healthy amount of turnover. And I think that's possibly true. There is there is a percentage which is quite healthy.
1: Yeah, I don't doubt that, but it's not at the level that it's been for the last.
0: Well, however many that's years. partly what I was going to say, and and it, it all very much depends on who leaves. Because if all of your A players are leaving, <laughs> exactly. those are the ones with the, the motivation and the opportunity. Then that's not great turnover.
1: Or the ones getting recruited by your competitors, because all people, all companies are doing right now is beg, borrowing or stealing employees from. They're competitors. Like nobody's developing people from within to be the best that they can be at that organization. They're like, oh, that guy's, you know, a better sales manager. Let's get him over here. And so we'll pay him a ridiculous bonus to just bring his desk over here. (laughs) So now we're underwater already, right? Why don't we, like you said earlier, why don't we just take everybody when they walk in the door? And and we could step that development process up, right? So in the beginning it could just be reading, reading groups. Like there's so much learning that can come from reading. People don't know how to read for comprehension anymore. It's something else that we've failed to teach younger generations. They skim, they look for factoids, they look for the pretty pictures. It's also based on technology. Like there's a, a study that um, years ago I was involved in, um, the difference between reading online and reading in print. There's so much more comprehension when you read in print because your eyes and your brain are working differently. And also when you're reading in print, you can flip back you know, and you also have like a, a um, an anchor, a visual anchor. So like, I remember when I was in college, I used to think test taking was so easy, I guess, because I'm good at it. But, a, but a lot of the times it was because I could see the picture on the textbook page. And I knew what the answer was because, oh, there was the picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, or, or that was, you know, a picture of that, you know, whatever. I, like, I would visualize the answers based on some visual anchor on that textbook page. And we don't have that when we're online. When you just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, it it, it, it affects your comprehension. So, just, so no cost at all, right? Let's just do this the last half hour of every day. We ask everybody to spend 30 minutes reading and at the end of the month we get together and we discuss the ideas in this business book. That alone is going to really develop people's business thinking, business ability, critical thinking, comprehension skills. Communication and, and get to know each other and get to know one another very good exactly especially if we put them in interdisciplinary groups
0: i heard about this reading the reading thing is something to do with like lean forward or lean back and if you literally leaning back as you would be with a paper book or a, something like a kindle
1: oh. then you
0: comprehend a lot better i like if that you have to lean forward as you would over a computer
1: that is interesting. I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's that is absolutely. A, apparently,
0: a different kind of mental state in terms of like your patience and your willingness to engage with the content.
1: Yes. And I just wanted ability to make to a review. quick point
0: about the uh, your ability to review. Yes. Just being able to visually see it and also the sort of tangible, you can holding something, right. which gives and you a more physical, engaging experience, more holistic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I, I wanted to make a, just a quick point about retention and it's. I was saying before about there's a percentage where people feel that that's quite healthy and, mm-hmm. and I'm not disagreeing with that necessarily. But the idea that it's healthy is because it keeps more new blood, new ideas, more energy, more motivation. All those things that we're assuming are going to come with these new people. Right. And people that are a little bit tired and jaded are the ones that are mm-hmm. more likely to leave. Now, we know that's not true. The ones that leave tend to be the more motivated, the more ones that are able to leave. But also wouldn't it just be better if we kept the people and just made them motivated and energetic and engaged
1: <laughs> and better yeah and smarter and better. Yes, I, wouldn't I that just
0: be better I think because I think what you... we're saying is retention uh, sorry what we're saying is kind of turnover is a way of injecting energy and ideas and 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 engagement couldn't we just inject it into who we've got?
1: Thank you yes I think you have a good point because you, you don't want to be that company that says, oh we tried that once or that's not the way we do things here so there is a there is a good Argument for injecting new thinking and new processes. But, uh, and again, I can't cite as an uh, actual statistic, but I know that there's been a lot of studies done of like CEOs who have moved into new roles and then flamed out. It's on my list of things to write a blog post about someday because they're not integrated enough with that organization um the the well i don't know if it's in europe but jc penny the department store got a new ceo like three years ago he's we're totally not going to do sales anymore we're going to have low prices every day and he was gone in less than 18 months and the company has been suffering 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 ever since so i think you can argue both sides of that coin but i agree with your statement john like why wouldn't we just want to make everybody better at their jobs and then you know you can bring in consultants to shake things up if you want (laughs) to (laughs) <laughs> just yeah, get but people just, to start. I mean, you'll get,
0: well you'll get some turnover anyway. Yes. unless you're yeah, a very, very tiny company. You're gonna, gonna get some people. anyway. Yeah. Um but new thinking doesn't have to come with new new humans. New thinking can come with giving people new ideas, new energy, new motivation, exactly. exposure yeah. to new stuff.
1: And the ability so, to pursue it too, like Google did. You know, just pursue yeah. something else. It's going to benefit us. We know it is.
0: Absolutely. It, yeah, anyway, I'm gonna go off on the tangent here. Now I'm gonna focus. Because <laughs> you mentioned that um you mentioned God, what did you just <laughs> um what did you just say about um, oh jc penny mm-hmm. and that's a really good example of a failure of leadership and mm-hmm. that's this is where your initial big dramatic scary claim that businesses have a good chance of going out of business if they don't get this right exactly so jc penny is an example and in fact there's quite a few retail examples that we could probably put you also say yeah. about uber mhm and about the uber ceo right and you use that example as well of another leadership failure. In that in that case, the company hasn't failed, but it still has impacted the organization.
1: But it was, but but that so that was a self management skill. That guy just clearly didn't have the ability to manage his own emotions or his persona out in public. But it has hurt the company dramatically. I mean, it was supposed to go public and it didn't. They had to pull back from that because they had such backlash. They took I think like nine months to find a new CEO. The board of directors started to to um, take sides, and some were you know go voting for one not voting, but positioning for one person and others were positioning for another. So I mean, it hurt the company in many, many ways. And what's really interesting, and I need to write a post about this soon, too. I was watching TV a few weeks ago, and in one night, and it might have been even in one hour, Wells Fargo, the bank that opened up a bazillion, that's not an exact number, but it was close. <laughs> Brazilian fake accounts, so they could make their sales numbers. Uh, Uber, so so Wells Fargo, Uber, and um, Facebook all ran mia culpa ads, and I thought. What is wrong with society that we now have to run national ads to apologize for our behavior or our poor decisions? There's something definitely wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about that. That's that's fascinating. It they, was fascinating ran, because uh, I
1: saw so many of them in the same evening. I'm like, what the heck?
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, these are real leadership failures.
1: Yes, exactly. They
0: really are. Yeah, I know you're using that example to sort of re-emphasize the point of the, the importance of good decision-making skills, collaboration, and all these sorts of things that we've talked about. What we've labelled as business acumen, and these do these things do take a, a sort of I wouldn't say quite a lifetime to learn, but they do take a lot of years to learn because you also have to mature and,
1: and exactly, they do take decades to learn. You're absolutely right. And yeah. you know it's entirely possible because business is changing a lot and has changed a lot thanks to the advent of technology. It's entirely possible that by 2030 we're not going to have a single leader in an organization, which I think just makes this curriculum even more important because now you know you have to have communication skills and collaborative skills and team skills and project skills and you have you, we might have five leaders in an organization and not just have a CEO who who you know lives or dies by his decisions. So now you need even more people in the in the potential pot so that the organization can continue to be run successfully. I mean, leadership might look different in, in 15 years, but you're not going to not need the skills.
0: Yeah. And you can't rely on being able to hire them in either because you've got to think that in most cases, we'll in, most right, people, right. well, most people are going to have been in other organizations and they won't have been developed properly there either. Exactly. So you're taking a bit, a hell of a chance if you're just going to hire it in. <laughs> Right. you've even got even less information about the person <laughs> yes you yeah know, and they're, they're just not- good inter- they're just good at interviews that's all he means. Yeah.
1: Well, you're right. And they're you know, they're not bought into your culture. They've not assimilated through your culture. I mean, there's a, obviously there's something to be said for that outsider perspective because you can see everything in a in a very objective sure. light. But again, you could hire a consultant to be objective. I think that's you know why companies hire me, because I stand back and go, What the? <laughs> why are we doing this again? <laughs> How long has this been in place?
0: So yeah, as you can hire that in. You can hire in people to do that. It's, it's not on its own. If that is your entire recruitment strategy, then I think that's, it's very short-sighted, as, as you rightly say.
1: hmm yeah.
0: Listen, Nanette, that's been a really interesting way of looking at how we develop in organizations, a very different way of looking at it. And if, if people want to see more about that and read more about your thinking on these subjects, do you want to just tell people about your blog?
1: Sure. So it's training dr as in DrTrainingDR.com backslash blog. And if they'd like to know more about the book or download the first chapter of the book, that website is future-proofing.org. So the name of the book is Future Proofing Your Organization by Teaching Thinking Skills. The website is future-proofing.org. Um, there's also a really nifty assessment on the um, Future Proofing site that asks you to answer, I think, 10 or 14 questions about um, your, whether your organization is is prepared it for the future and has leadership in place. So it asks things like, um, you know, we develop leaders from within, yes or no. Um, <laughs> there's a you know, there's succession planning organization, yes or no. Uh, we ask people to you know, work outside their specific roles, yes or no. And by the time you get to the end of those questions, you might Realize so you know we're, we're the the scoring is green, yellow, or red like a stoplight. So you might realize, oh, we're in a, a good position, or we're in a very scary position. And now, now is the time to make the change. Now is the wait the time to rethink how you're developing people in your organization because you're going to need them. You're going to need them all. You're going to need them to have thinking skills. You're going to need them to have business acumen. You're, we can't run companies without people again, unless I said, you know, I'm completely wrong, and robotics takes over in the next 15 years. Um, so, you need to have, you need to develop those people yourself because you're not going to be able to beg, borrow, and steal them in the future because Gen X is the next generation up and there's not as many of them.
0: That's really interesting. Thanks, Nanette. So, is Training Doctor, Training DR is the blog, and uh, Future Dash Proofing is, is the, the book correct. site which has that questionnaire yes. thing
1: futureproofing.org not .com yep
0: great well thank you very much for your time Lynette thanks John it's it's been a really interesting conversation (laughs) really enjoyed it I did too uh, and look forward to speaking to you again I hope great